Open your Bibles this morning to Luke 5, the Gospel of Luke. Now, we're going to talk about a one of my favorite stories. I've preached it over, I don't know how many times, I've preached it a lot. So, if you... If you look at it and say, oh, well, I've already heard that. Well, just hang on. Maybe you need to hear it again. How many know that everybody needs four crazy friends? How many of you have four crazy friends? Now, I'm talking about four crazy friends like the Bible talks about. Because when you're in the world, you had some crazy friends too, right? That's not the kind of crazy friends you need. We're going to talk about these four crazy friends. I've preached a sermon titled Four Crazy Friends. But today, the title is, There is a Way. The scripture talks about that there's a way that seems impossible to man, but it's possible with God. And in everybody in this room, every one of you have things in your life that seem impossible. Maybe God has put something in your heart and you just think, that's just impossible. Or maybe you're facing a, a medical issue where the, where the doctors say it's impossible. God says it's possible. Maybe in your finances, your finances are screaming at you, it's impossible for you to make it this month. But God says it's possible. Now, it, the way that it's possible is that we have to do something different. You know... I, and I don't know who said it originally. I've heard it quoted many times. But, you know, that if you want some, a different outcome, you can't keep doing the same things you've always done or you'll get the same things you've always had. If you do the same things you've always done, you'll have what you've always had. But you have to, if you want a different outcome, then you've got to change. Now, in our uh, vocabulary and in... In our situation, our change doesn't have to... We don't do change just for change's sake. We have to hear the voice of the Lord. Sometimes God will have us keep doing something for years and then didn't change. Sometimes we do it one time and He says, That's all I want you to do, one time. And, and sometimes in a church, you kind of get hooked to methods or hooked to this is how we do it, this is how we always done it. You know, what if you came in next Sunday and, and I just started preaching at 10 o'clock? And then we had praise and worship at about 11. How'd that go? Well, some people would go, why'd they do that? Because I missed half the sermon. Because I don't get here till 30 minutes late. There's a thought. Okay. But to change it just to say, well, we just changed it up. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hear God. There's a reason why we do praise and worship first. Because it prepares an atmosphere for the word to be preached. But you know what? It's, God can change that. Actually, if we all came in and we've had our own prayer time in the morning, we've, had, we've been singing praises to God. When we come in, we're ready. We don't have to have somebody pump us up. You know, some of the hardest meetings that when I was with Brother Copeland, some of our hardest meetings to get the people hooked in would be the 10 o'clock meetings or the 9 o'clock meetings 
where Brother Copeland would literally, at that moment, there wasn't, it wasn't three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. It was, if it started at nine o'clock, at nine o'clock he would come out, have his Bible, do like that, open your Bibles. And then we'd start, we'd start learning the Word. Well, some people are so programmed that you've got to let me ha- sing a couple songs. and I'm not ready. But if we would prepare ourselves, we could come in. But there's a purpose. Praise and worship's purpose is not just to prepare us or to get us ready. Or There is a purpose that God created us to praise Him. That's, God created us for worship. And so, so it wouldn't be wrong if we had a whole service of praise and worship. And I'm talking about musically. There's different ways to praise and worship. But I'm talking about musically. That wouldn't be wrong. Not in this church, because we're singing the songs of the Lord. We're singing from the Word. We're not singing doubt and unbelief. That's not wrong. So what we we have to realize is that there are things that you are facing in your life that you either are facing or will face that it's going to seem impossible for this situation to change. But you have got to know that God has a way. Do you think when the Israelites came to that Red Sea, do you think that some of them in that crowd, I don't know, there was, there was multitudes of them, there was uh, thousands upon thousands of people, do you think there might have been one or two in the crowd that says, how are we going to do that? That's impossible. Do you think there might have been a few that would have said that? I think so. For one thing, they'd been in captivity for 400 years. They, di- they didn't even know their God. They had forgotten the things that God had created them for. Don't you think there would be a few that would say, Well, I don't know. I don't know. That crazy Moses, what's he going to do now, you know? You never know about that guy. He's crazy. But when they saw the water stand up. Now, we have, you know, we've seen these, these uh, images that we've seen in Japan lately with the tsunami see modern technology now we can see things that have happened on the earth since the earth began there's been things happening but we can see can't you see how a wall of water can look right well that day it wasn't a tsunami god just took that water and stood it up like two two walls and then another miraculous thing it said they walked through on dry land land it just uh, you know the bottom of the the sea doesn't dry up like that unless god does it well praise the lord you know the doctor said it was impossible for me to have children but god said it's possible and then when this one was being born it was a sunday morning and he was being born they said it's impossible this baby is going to be brain damaged. Well, he's, you've heard him preach. He's definitely not brain damaged. <laughs> it's impossible for him not to be. But one thing they know about brain damaged babies, when they are born, they don't cry. Did you know that? They, a brain damaged child, when they're born, they don't cry. Well, Jonathan came out crying until his daddy took him and lifted him up. Now, I'm laying there, 
there's five doctors and everybody stops taking care of me to listen to David pray for him. And he lifts that baby up and he and Jonathan, well the first thing he said to his dad, uh, he said to Jonathan, Jonathan was crying. And when when David, when Jonathan was in my womb, David every night would come and we would speak the scriptures over the baby and he would but he'd always start out, "Hello down there." And then he'd start speaking the word to him. And I'd think, what a strange thing. Hello down there. But when Jonathan came out, the, the doctor told me this. He said, Jonathan was crying, which was an amazement to us because everything showed that the, Jonathan's oxygen had been cut off every five minutes, every eight minutes for five days. He, the cord was around his neck, and he had been without oxygen. Every time I would have a contraction, it would cut off his oxygen. So he had been without oxygen for five days. Every, for eight min, every eight minutes, there'd be a time where he'd be without oxygen. So they said we didn't expect him to, to, you know, to be alert. We we just knew we had troubles. And everything I'm not going to explain all the medical things, but everything pointed to when I went into labor that we were in bad bad troubles. But when he came out, he was crying, and the doctor said that John, that David took him, and the first thing he looked at Jonathan, and he said, "Hello down there." And they said, they said, that baby quit, quit crying and smiled. And they said, babies don't do that. And he said, then, then your husband, this is all the doctors report, then your husband lifted that baby up and started praying. And I said, what were you doing? He said, because they had me all out. He said, oh, we all stopped and prayed with him. I said, and I was on the table, right? Yeah, you're okay. <laughs> But what was impossible with man was possible with God because God had promised, I'm going to give you Jonathan David. God had promised it. But then God said, I'm going to give you a daughter. Her name's to be Liberty. For, and you name her Liberty because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Liberty. She will bring freedom to people all over the world. He told us all this. Well, the doctor said, you'll never get pregnant again. We don't know how that happened the first time, but you'll never get pregnant again. But with God, all things are possible. Well, that, when, when a doctor says that, and you've already heard the word of the Lord, it's like, just sit back and watch, buddy. But when I got pregnant with Liberty, I'm telling you, they told me she was dead in my womb. Then God brought her back. And then the whole pregnancy, we had to believe God for her to stay in and to grow and thrive. Some of you were around those days. You were praying. Praise the Lord. But... She is alive and preaching the gospel and doing well, bringing freedom to the captives, just like God said. What's impossible becomes possible. You have got to have a mentality that when someone says you can't, you say, God says I can. And you're not moved by what anybody says. Quite frankly, let me tell you, you can't be moved if they say good things about you or you can't be moved if they say bad things about you because you've got to center in as what does God say? Because you know what? You could be going away from God and other people are patting you back saying you're doing really good, you should do that and you know in your spirit I'm not supposed to be doing this. Then that's just as wrong, isn't it? 
obey God. The blessings of God come when we do what God says. So let's look at Luke 5. Praise the Lord. Thought, you thought I forgot, didn't you? One day, he, meaning Jesus, was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. Now, this, this um, story is also in Matthew and Mark. And I believe it's in Mark. It says they went to his house, meaning Jesus' house. Did Jesus have a house? Yeah, he had a house. He probably built it himself. You know, he was a carpenter. But they went to his house. And it says the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. Now remember, Jesus was operating as the Son of Man, wasn't he? He needed, he needed the power of the Lord to be present to heal. Just like you and I do. But it was present. It was present. But now listen, the Pharisees, you know, they were the religious people, the teachers. They were there. And I suspect that they were there, if you read the other accounts, they were probably there to check out what he was teaching, what he was doing. They weren't the best crowd to preach to, I, I imagine. But anyway, God had a purpose. It says, Some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up to the roof and led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing what? their faith how can you see faith faith is how can how can you see faith we see in acts where it talks about uh that peter and john they saw that the man had faith paul saw that they had faith there's how do you see faith there's a reaction isn't there there's an action faith has action to it so jesus saw their faith well, how did he see it? Well, they're bringing their friend, and they're trying to get in, and the door shut. Now, some people would say, well, you know, the, the Lord closed the door to that. It must not be God. The door closed. Well, if that's so, then you are being led by doors. <laughs> You're not supposed to be led by doors. Kick it in. Do something. Now, there are times that the door closes, and it is God. But you don't go by whether the door opens or closes to judge whether it's God. You go by the witness of the Spirit. That's why you have been given the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide you into all truth. You're not to be led and guided by doors. Do you understand? They came in, and the door was shut because they couldn't get anybody else in there. But don't you think that... Number one, these guys believe that Jesus could heal their friend. Number two, they love their friend enough to go get him. Now, we're just going to do a little illustration here. Jonathan, you're going to be the paralyzed guy. But you need four crazy friends. Can you pick out four friends, please? Now, I suspect they had to use an animal hide. I just killed this zebra this morning. <laughs> You're right. Well, you've got to get four friends that can carry you on this hide. 
four. You better find you four crazy friends. No, you keep you you pick them out. You you might want to take off your coat because you're paralyzed. You know. So these are your four crazy friends. Okay, you get down there. You're paralyzed. You can't stand up. You silly boy. Okay, lie down. <laughs> now, friends, do you believe Jesus can heal your friend? Absolutely. You, you've heard of Jesus, huh? And so it's going to take your effort to go get him. Is that right? Your time, your effort. Okay, so you love him enough that you, you love him and you want... Look at him. He looks like he's in the grave. You're not dead. You're just paralyzed. <laughs> you should be up on the stage so the people can see this wonderful coffin look. Uh, you love him enough that you are going to use your time, your effort, to go get him. Okay? So you pick him up and you go around. You've got to bring him back up here, and we're going to tell you that the door's shut. Okay. Okay, they're <laughs> they're carrying their their friend who's paralyzed. Now look, people are looking at them and laughing. That happened that day, you know. But they're not deterred. And bring him up here so that the people can see, because you're trying. Wait, 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 wait. You're trying to get in, and I say, no, there's no room. You can't get in. Okay. You got to find a way. Okay, you come over here, and we're going to pretend that you just brought him down. They had to go through the roof. Okay, put him down. And Jesus says to him, let's read in our scriptures what did Jesus say. It says, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith. Now, the word doesn't say Jesus saw his faith. It says he saw your faith. See, this is what happens, is that when we have faith, then even the person, now he, he probably has faith in them, but it's kind of scary for people to be carrying you around, right? John, there's not a lot of security in that. And you can imagine dropping him down the roof. I have been paralyzed and had two crazy friends, my husband and another friend, carry me upstairs to take me into church on a stretcher. It's, it's scary because you're just like this. But Jesus says to him, now they think Jesus is going to heal him. But what does Jesus say to this man? Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now what do you think the, the friends are thinking? Oh, man. We did all that for his sins to be forgiven him. Wait. The scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? In other words, nobody can forgive sin. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Go, get up, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
And he turns to the paralytic, the paralyzed man, and says, I say to you, get up, pick up your bed, your stretcher, and go home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Take your stretcher with you. Now, Jonathan illustrated that very well because it said immediately he got up. When the word of the Lord comes, it's immediate. Now, the manifestation sometimes is not immediate, but the word spoken is immediate. There is a a answer. Amen? So that man immediately got up. Let's keep reading. He got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and he went home and he didn't just go home and say well that's that was a good meeting kind of scary at first but it turned out all right it said he went home glorifying god you know he didn't glorify his friends although i'm sure he was very thankful for them he glorified god now let's keep reading they were all struck. Now remember, this is the religious people and the educated people that didn't think that Jesus had a right to forgive sin. But when they saw the paralytic get up and take his bed and walk his stretcher and go, it says they were all awestruck. And began, they were struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear. Now that's not fear like, ah! That's fear like reverence and and awe of God, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, remember, what happened is, first of all, the Bible says the, pre the power of the Lord was present to heal. So we have to have an atmosphere created with our faith with the Word of God, with whatever we're doing in any time, we, whether it's in our home, whether it's out in the grocery store, or whether it's in the church, that we have an atmosphere for the power of the Lord to be present to heal. But listen, God is, is always wanting healing to happen. Healing is the children's bread. Healing belongs to us. It's in our covenant. And so this is what I want you to understand. It wasn't just a paralyzed man. It wasn't just... Jesus didn't have this meeting just for him. Although he got a great benefit from it. The meeting was because Jesus was just obeying God. God told him to do this. He did this. But it affected the whole crowd. Don't you think those friends were affected? Isn't it wonderful when you've been believing God for one of your friends and you know what, you bring them to church and God meets them or you talk to them about the Lord on your job or wherever and they get born again or you're in the grocery store and you see someone sick and you offer to pray for them. It still amazes me at people that say they don't want you to pray for them. We, we experienced that on my way to Texas, we stopped at the hospital. This woman was in great, great misery. So I said, would you like for me to pray for you? She said, no. Sometimes I want to go, 
huh? Surely you just didn't say no. <laughs> because I know that the power of the Lord is present to heal. I know that I have something that she needs. I'm not the healer, but I know the healer. And I know that he said that those who believe, and I'm a believer, shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So what we see here is that the first of all, the power of God was present to heal. Jesus had, was in his house. Remember, he'd been doing great things. People heard about it. The Pharisees and the teachers came because they heard about it. But I, I suspect they were coming to find what was wrong. What's he doing wrong? You know, there's people that do come to check you out. And, and it's not always good. But this is the cool thing about God. is They come. Rick Renner tells stories about, you know, and he's in Russia. And having meetings where they would send the, you know, the police and the, the spies to spy on his services. They get born again. I love that, you know. It's like us preaching. I was preaching in that village in, in Mindanao. I forgot what the name of it was, Jonathan. We're the rebel leaders were in the back and they got born again and i i'm giving them you know i'm teasing them and saying come up here in the light let me you know let me pray for you i didn't realize that by coming in the light they would be really risking that they would probably be killed the next day i didn't know that i had to be told that later but they were there to see who came to the meeting and they got saved <laughs> glory to god well, I think this is what happened here in this meeting because it said they were filled with astonishment and began glorifying God. They all. It says they all. They all. There was a change. Listen, when the power of God is in a meeting, there is a change. And the only way that people aren't changed is if they harden their heart. You can be in a meeting with great power of God happening, and if you say, well, I didn't feel nothing, I'd say check your own heart. Because if your heart is open, you will be changed. If you go away and you say, I didn't feel nothing, I didn't get nothing, well then, don't blame the praise and worship team, don't blame the preacher, don't blame the people in the church. Go check your heart out. I've been in meetings where I just, I went and left and went, <laughs> you know what, I couldn't blame whoever did the meeting. I knew it was my condition of my heart, that I didn't go in ready to receive. I didn't go in expecting to receive. I went in... You know, just because I had to be there or something. So that's our human that's our human nature. But God says that we're to expect. We're supposed to have evidence of our faith. Those four friends had evidence that they believed God could heal their friend. I've told you the story of how we were in a village in Mindanao up in the in the mountains, and these people, even our, our Mindanao uh friends preachers didn't want to go because these people were known to kill christians and they were known to uh they were they were uh heathens and so we we started preaching and the whole village came out and stood to get saved in the dark but this funny thing we started to pray and some of them left and we thought well they they're getting away from us you know what they did they went back to their huts because in this village and this is the way it is in a lot of the villages there. There's a, there's a concrete square in the middle of the village. And the, the uh, huts are 
NEPA huts or whatever are built around that, and that's they play basketball on that, or that's where they have their town meetings, and it's all because everybody's around that. And so if there's any electricity or any power, it's right there in that place. And so, and so we saw them leaving. We thought they're, oh, you know, well, they don't want anything to do with what we're t- preaching. You know what they did? They ran home, and they got the best clothes. I remember this one old man, and I don't know where he'd gone. He had, a, he had an orange plaid uh, sport coat. No telling where he got it. He's, got, he's barefooted, got on raggedy shorts, but he goes and gets his sport coat. They went home and got the best clothes they had to stand in the line of the man of God to get prayer. Isn't that cool? Nobody told them to do that. They, that was their response. Is they hadn't heard the gospel. This is the first time many of them had heard the gospel. We preached the gospel. We, they, the praise and worship, the team that went with us from uh, the Mindanao people, they did music, and then we preached and told them that Jesus wants to save them. And their response was, I must be ready for the man of God to pray for me. They went home, put on their best clothes, and came back. But that is, I think that speaks to us sometimes. That this is, this is different from that. And so, but then some of them came and started, some of you heard this story many times, but they st- some of them started grabbing our white plastic chairs. Now, we only had about 12 or 14, and we carried them in the back of the pickup with us for every village we went to, so we'd have a place to sit. They started taking our plastic chairs, and I'm standing there going, they're taking our chairs. They took one chair. They're not our chairs. They took one chair. But they're, they're leaving. These men took our chair and left. So I tell David, after he gets through praying for people, some guys took our chair. He said, don't worry about it. I said, well, I'm not worried about it. I just thought I'd tell you that. Well, here they come back with a guy, a young guy. He was about uh, in his uh, late 20s, I guess. He was tall, but he's sitting in this chair, and he's completely paralyzed because he had climbed up a coconut tree and fallen all the way down and broken his back. And They had no hospitals, no doctors. He was paralyzed. They heard God was healing, miracles were happening, and they went and got their friend. And they brought him back. And I remember his legs were just like this because, you know, he hadn't walked in a long time. And they sat him in front of David and I. We laid our hands on him. And you know what? His leg started twitching. But, you know, I thought he was going to jump up and run. He didn't. He just had a little movement. Well, we left that village that night. We, we left this little sweet Bible school student who came with us, and we said, okay, now you're going to have church. This is your pastor. He didn't have a place to live. He didn't have. We left him up in the mountains. Be blessed. See you later. That's the kind of dedication these people have. That's why we sow into them. They're good ground. Amen? And long story short, he got... God gave him a wife in that village, and now they have a little baby. And David did. Yeah, you were at their wedding, weren't you? And anyway, God's blessed him. But what faith this be left in a village of people who were, you know, cannibalistic, and you're being left in their village? 
Not so good. I'm not sure they were cannibalistic. But they were heathens. The people were afraid of them. They were the mountain people. And they say that funny, don't they? Do you guys say that about mountain people? The mountain people. Do you? Do you say like, pay attention, Brian, I'm preaching. <laughs> There's cannibals. There were cannibals. and But not this tribe. Anyway, wasn't a good place to be left if you had no home. No, but God gave him a wife, praise the Lord. But what the report, this one I want to get to. That man that we prayed for that night got healed and became one of the greatest evangelists in that area. Now, we didn't see it. When we left, he, cause he was, there was just some movement. In, I'm not sure if it's even both legs. So we could have got discouraged and went, man, that's too bad he didn't get healed. He wasn't like the guy that Jesus prayed for. But he got healed. And now is a great evangelist. In a village that didn't have any Christians in it. And when we left, as they told us, now I don't know, they said the whole village received Jesus. Now, that's what they told us. I don't know that. But at least a lot of them did. And and now they had an automatic church. I mean, you go into the city and everybody receives Jesus. you got a church. Amen? But they need to be discipled. You don't know... It's not right to just get them saved and leave. Thank God you got to leave somebody there to teach them, to disciple them. So praise the Lord. That man was healed. So we see that God does what's impossible to man. In the village in Mindanao, that was impossible for that man to be healed. Because even in our medicine... When your spine, when your spine is severed, you're just going to be paralyzed. But with God, I'm a person that had a broken back. I'm a person that was paralyzed from the waist down. And I'm a person that went walking and leaping and praising God out of the hospital. I'm a witness. What's impossible to man is possible with God. So you are not in, not one of you have an impossible situation. It might be impossible in the natural. It might be impossible to man. But there's not one of us that have an impossible situation. Because we have God. And with God, all things are possible. But now listen, let's, let's quote it right. Mark 9, look at Mark 9. Glory to God. I'm so glad I'm living in this time in the kingdom. I'm glad that God let me come and be born at this time so I could be part of this end time coming of the Lord and see these great things. Be a part of it. Be a participator. Jesus said, verse 23, Mark 9, If you can, all things are possible to him who what? See, he didn't say all things are possible. He said all things are possible to him who believes. So the key there is you have to believe. And this is what happens, church, is you will hear 
bad reports, bad reports, bad reports, whether it's with your finances, whether it's with family members that you want saved. I mean, you know, you might be believing God for some of your family members, and every time you're around them, it your your brain says, this is impossible. But your spirit says, this is possible. Your spirit says, I see them praising the Lord. Your spirit sees great things. But your mind might say, nah, that's impossible. But you have to go to the spirit. You have to believe. Listen, what is faith? Faith is believing those things that be not as though they were. Amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, according to 11, Hebrews 11.1. 1. The evidence of things not seen or things not perceived with your five physical senses. So if you can perceive it with five physical senses, you don't need faith. So what God calls us to do is always impossible. How many times have you seen legs grow out right up here? Is that possible? In the natural, no. With God, so I heard people, I heard both yes and no. Well, it's, those are both right. In the natural, it's impossible. With God, it's possible. How many of you have had pain in your body and prayed, believed God spoke the word or had somebody pray for you and the pain left just like that? How many have had that happen? Well, is that possible? I mean, Tylenol works pretty fast. Advil works fast. You know, an injection of pain works, uh, pain medicine works fast. But nothing like what God does. How's that possible? With God, all things are possible to him who believes. So our challenge is to be like those four friends who weren't discouraged when they got and they couldn't get in. Let's go back around to what, what... the point of the message is there is a way. Now, don't you think when they started removing the tiles from the top of the house that it was making some people nervous? Don't you think Jesus is teaching and some of them's attention, because I watch you guys, I know where your attention can go. And don't you think that if I were teaching right now and somebody was, you know, and there's plaster coming down hitting me on the head, that you might be tempted to look up. And I'd be tempted to. (laughs) Don't you think that some of them were distracted by these four crazy friends trying to get their friend down? And don't you think some of them were being offended for Jesus's, uh, like we'd call third-party offense, like, this is his house. They're tearing up his house. Do you think Jesus cared? It's like, if it causes my house to be torn up so one man can get healed, let the house be torn up. Because God's got other houses. God, what is it? You know, I remember when David and I, we first came to Canada. And, I mean, people were coming with demons like all hours of the night and stuff. And many times they would come and they would be, they would be really filthy, smelly. And they might, pardon me, but they might vomit on me. They might have all kinds of stuff on, you know, they bring stuff in the... They get it on your furniture and stuff. And I remember making a choice. For this person to get delivered, I can't be concerned about what my furniture looks like. I can't be concerned what my eye looks like or 
this this means they get free. They they those who are bound become loose. So what's more important, a couch or that person being free? So when you get where things don't have a hold of you, that you're living for Jesus, I mean, Jesus replaces couches. That's not a big deal. But I remember one time, and, and Albina's sisters, they were just little girls. They came in, and they had just tarred the, the, the road. And these little girls just loved us. So they came in, and every one of them had tar on their shoes, and they brought it in, and it went all over my carpet. Then they put their shoes on the couch. Black road tar. I was ready to kill them all and then pray for them to be raised from the dead. <laughs> I lost my joy that morning. <laughs> well, you might too. I mean, don't look at me like you're so bad. But I remember going, girls, girls, lift up your shoes. Let me take them off and put them in the, in the, by the door. They didn't even clue in that this was ruining anything. They were just so happy to be with David and Brownie because they were convinced that we should adopt them all. And so they just wanted to be with us. And I remember they left, and I'm trying everything to get tar. Let me tell you, I don't know any way to get tar out of a carpet. Not black tar. Uh, but after that, that's when I would see that tar, it would remind me that God sent us to a people that love us and want to be in our presence. It would remind me that these girls love us and they want to be in our presence. See, they hadn't been raised with, with carpets. They hadn't been raised with nice furniture. So they didn't know. But God will cause us to get where things are not so important. And that day, the friends didn't care that it was going to take their effort. They had to go get that guy. They had to come up with some kind of a stretcher. They did that. And when they got there, don't you know, the, probably the paralytic, we don't know that he had much faith at all. We don't know. I think he did. But that's my thought. But don't you think that when they got to the door, he's tired? It's scary. I, I, you know, Jonathan didn't express it so uh, well, in that it's scary for people to carry you like that. Now, I've been there, I know. I've been paralyzed. I've been taken in on a stretcher up stairs that go just like that. If you ever go by the Legion Hall in Lloydminster, look in the back for those stairs. Those are the stairs that my husband and a friend put me in a, on a stretcher and carried me up those stairs so I could go to church that Sunday morning. But I loved my husband and I trusted our friend. But that was not, my faith wasn't being built up. It was like, Jesus, don't let them drop me, Jesus, don't let me fall off. But they could have been so discouraged, couldn't they? When they got there and the crowd wouldn't let them in. But they had tenacity. And people of faith find a way. People of faith don't give up when the, when the door closes or when someone says you can't, that's sort of like just lighting our fire. Tell me I can't. Bless God, I'll show you. Isn't that right? I mean, 
Is that not right, Joshua? Someone tells you you can't, that's sort of like just giving him a vitamin shot. Don't tell me I can't. That's why we can do what God calls us to do, and that's why you can do what God causes you to do. And listen, the world says your kids are going to have to go through a rebellious time. The world says that, you know, these young people, they got to sow their wild oats. That's not true. That's not true. God is bigger than the world system. God is bigger than the peer pressure. God is bigger. So you have to say, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, what do you do when you see them and they appear that they are in that system? You don't change your confession. You don't change your faith. The story of Smith Wigglesworth's wife, you know, when he wasn't serving God, the, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, Smith Wigglesworth, and I'm talking about in the last two, three hundred years, uh, one of the greatest evangelists. But listen, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with church. And he, he literally had had it with his wife. His wife was a little preacher woman. And he didn't like it. He was a plumber. He didn't like that. He didn't like her doing it. And so he, he forbid her to go to church. <laughs> I had a boss one day that forbid me to go to church. One night, one weekend, we were having special meetings, and I had took, taken the job saying, I don't work on Sunday mornings. I go to church. But I remember this, we had this big project, it was due. You, I forbid you to go to church. <laughs> okay. Then I quit. Because I'm not missing church to work. I made that agreement. I told you that. Now it would have been different if I'd agreed to work. But I made that agreement before he hired me. And you know what? He backed off. He, I, he didn't fire me. I didn't have to quit. And I went to church. But you've got to have that tenacity. Well, he, Smith forbid his wife to go to church. And she just, just said, Smith, I love you. And she went to church. And he locked her out of the house. And all night she stayed on that porch. I mean... I'm telling you, we hear about Smith Wigglesworth, but I want to meet the wife. What a woman of God she was. I want to meet Smith Wigglesworth when I get to heaven, but I want to meet Mrs. Wigglesworth. I don't even know her first name. But anyway, because I just hear it as his wife. She sat on that porch. Now, ladies, don't you think our flesh could get in a little bit if that man locked the door and made us sit on the porch? Now, men... If I ever hear of one of you even thinking it, I'm coming to your house. But women, don't you think we get a little, uh, I mean, that's just not going to work very well in our house. Some of you men are going, oh, God, don't let her do this. But, but in the morning, he opened the door, and she was there. She came in. Said, Hello, Smith. I love you, Smith. And she fixed him the best breakfast he ever had. Just a wonderful breakfast. That woman was at a level of love that I don't think I've gotten to yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure I haven't. But I'd like to get there. Where she chose 
to believe the impossible. And she didn't give up. She could have said, I'm out of here, I'm through, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you, Smith Wigglesworth. You can go to hell. But she didn't do that. She kept believing God because she knew the promise of God. She held on that as for me and my house, we shall be saved. You and your household shall be saved. She held on to the word of the Lord when the circumstances looked different. Many of you have held on to the word of the Lord when circumstances looked different. But you have said, I believe God. And you've looked in the face of the things. You've looked in the face of sickness and disease. You've looked in the face of your children not serving God. You've looked in the face of your relationships not being happy and good. And you said, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. I will believe God. We see it in the Scriptures. We see it time and again. When it was impossible, God made it possible. When David came back to Ziglag and they'd all, you know, they'd taken his, the, all the women and the children and even his mighty men turned against him and blamed him. He could have given up, but he took what was impossible. It's impossible to get our families back. But God said, you pursue you pursue and recover all. But it said that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. Isn't that right? Read the psalm. You'll see the book of psalm. You'll see that David many times starts out a psalm and he's just like, he says, my, my bed is wet with tears. He talk, I mean, you start reading, you think, my, this man, he, uh, he had a little depression problem, I think. But you know what? What about David? He turned it around. He would, he would say, but my God. He'd say, the strength of the Lord is mine. He'd start encouraging himself in the Lord. That's where you and I have to come. That when things look opposite of what God's word promises, when things look opposite of what we believed and held fast for, when, when all looks dark, I held a friend in my arms three days ago whose son had just gone to heaven and I held her and that's the second friend I've had that son has gone to the, be with the Lord just in you know, the last few months but I was holding her as she was crying and crying and the scripture that came to me weeping endures for a night but joy comes in the morning but I remember being in that weeping night my own self and not knowing if joy was going to come only having to look at the word and say, the word says. But my body didn't feel joyful. My mind didn't have any joy. My emotions didn't have any joy. It looked to me like I had sadness and sorrow and grief for the rest of my life. But I knew what God said, and I knew he was faithful. But I have to tell you, it was because I had to choose to believe. Because, right, John? We had to choose to believe, didn't we? Because in the natural, it, 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 it is like, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And many of you have been in the same situation, but you chose to believe God. And we've got testimony after testimony of, this is what happens when I choose to believe God. But today, 
you might be in a situation where you say, you know, I've got a situation that it just doesn't look like it's working. Well, do you think that it looked like it was working when those four friends got to the door and they couldn't get in? Don't you think that they, they were four friends? It says they were, you know, they, they were his friends. Don't you think that, that Josh could have said to, to, uh, to one of the guys, to Brent, well, Brent, I don't think we can get in today. Maybe we can catch Jesus at another meeting. We'll just take him home. Don't you think that one of them might have had that thought? But this is a wonderful thing about surrounding yourself with the body of Christ, surrounding yourself with like precious believers, being in the company, your company, as the Bible says that the disciples return to their own company. This is a wonderful thing about keeping yourself with believers of like precious faith, that when one says, I don't think we can do this, the others come and say, oh, yes, we can. When one says, let me, but you don't understand, this is what the doctor said, this is what they said, or this is what I saw yesterday. You need people around you who will say, but the Word says. Amen? That's the wonderful thing about being married to like precious believers. That's why God doesn't want you unequally yoked. I mean, there's many reasons, but that's one of the reasons. Because... The scripture talks about it. When one's down, the other lifts up. Amen? That's a wonderful thing about marriage is that you can both encourage one another and normally both of you won't be, uh, let me just say, depressed. We're not supposed to ever be depressed, but let's be honest that there's some times that we feel that coming. But you're not supposed to stay there, but that's why you need a friend. If you're married, you need to you know, have that connection where you don't both say, yeah, let's both give up. I I don't think David and I ever had a time where both of us were down. I don't remember it. I remember times when we both had a whole lot on us, but I I don't know the times. I'm talking about in spiritual situations. Usually one of us would start speaking the word, and we just wouldn't stay there because we knew we couldn't. But, I mean, there were times when we left our flesh getting in the way and we, we did what our flesh wanted. I can tell you that never worked. <laughs> Doing it by the flesh doesn't work. But this is why you need to be in a, a church that believes. You need to surround yourself. You know, it amazes me that Christians who are having difficulties, problems, sometimes run to unbelievers and let them give them their advice. I see it. I see it. Now it's easy to see. You go to Facebook, you know, and you just say, why would you put your troubles on Facebook? You know, if you're going to be on Facebook, encourage people. Use the word. Do that. That's great. Great communication. But let me tell you, don't announce your discouragement, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on the telephone, whether it's in the grocery store. Let God be true and every man a liar. You've got to take the word of God and encourage yourself sometimes. If you can't find somebody that can agree with you, then encourage yourself. And sometimes you'll be in places where there is nobody, nobody but nobody but nobody, that believes that it's going to work out right for you except you. Well, thank God. 
You and Jesus are a majority. If God be for me, what's the word say? Who can be against me? Listen, I, I, I know you all. We've all been in times when it looked like. Now, I always remember the prophet that said, there's nobody but me. And God said, oh, excuse me. <laughs> I, I do have other prophets. But sometimes we feel that way, right? Am I the only one? Jesus, I'm the only one in this family believing you. Jesus, I'm the only one in this group that believes you. I'm the only one at this workplace that believes in you. You're never alone. And you might be, God picked you because he knew you could do that. He put you. I, I, I worked in the advertising agency, and they literally called me their token Christian. Well, I wasn't offended by that. That's right, you need it. You need a token Christian. <laughs> in those days, there you had to have a certain minority, you know. It was the law, and you had to have a minority, and you had to have this and that. Well, they said, well, you're our token Christian. Oh, okay, I'll be that. Well, praise the Lord. God used that for me to, to minister to them. But they didn't want me there to do that. But I had to believe God in impossible... This is what I'm saying. God is the God of impossibilities. God never calls us to do what's possible. He calls us to do what's impossible. This is the one, one thing we see from this story. First of all, we see several things, but one thing we see is that, number one, the power of God was present. You have to go into the throne room into your prayer closet and get anointed to do what you do do you know preachers aren't the only ones that need anointing every believer has uh, the anointing abiding within you to do what you're called to do amen oh thank god i had an anointing to be a mother but sometimes i had to pull like where is it today amen you have an, ladies that are mothers, you have an anointing to be a mother. It's in you. And God will help you. But men, you guys, I have men here, you work in different kinds of industry. And women, you're all in different jobs. But how many times have you gone to that job and you don't know what to do? You, it's like the, everything is going wrong that day. Don't you need the anointing to know what to do? Don't you need the anointing? Yes, you do. And it's available. And this is the result of it. When that man got up and got healed, what did the word say? It said he glorified God. And then it said they were all astonished and began to glorify God. This is what walking in the power of God, this is what... We are called for signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Let me tell you, we are not called to just sit in and be nice little Christians. I thank God for nice little Christians. But we've just got a different call. We are Holy Spirit-filled, blood-bought, anointed of God, men and women that are called to do signs and wonders and mighty deeds and change our world, turn our world upside down. From the youngest one that's down there in the nursery to the oldest one that's in this room, 
the anointing of God is on us to change our world. And listen, Lloyd Minster needs to know that there is a God who heals. There's a God who prospers. There's a God who can heal marriages. There's a God that can bring uh, your children home again. There is a God that can do the impossible. They're out there waiting for somebody to say something other than just bless your heart. A bless your heart just doesn't do it when you're hurting and you're, you know, all your world is falling apart. A little pat on the back and, and like Bridget said, we were visiting Bridget yesterday and she said that the woman prayed and Lord, while she's in her bed of affliction, I mean, that doesn't do it. You need somebody that's going to pray the prayer of faith and say, I'm with you. Even over the phone. You know, if you can, if you can just phone somebody and, and they say, you can make it, you can do this. We have technology today that we should be using to encourage each other and to preach the gospel and to declare, decree and declare what God has spoken. We've got the technology. I, and I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but there's, I'd say at least half in here are on the Internet in some way. You either on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you've got your own website. You, are on t- you have got an audience of the world. What are you doing with it? Get ready and be anointed when you write something. Be anointed at your workplace. Many of you go in, I'm looking at Kevin. Kevin, many of you, uh, Chris, Spiro, you hear people, uh, Ken, you have people come in. Randy, you have people come in. You have people come in. They're not coming in to look for God. They're not coming in, but they're coming in broken. They're coming in discouraged. Or you're going into their place, and you are meeting up with somebody. And it's politically correct that you don't say anything. You just do your job. But what's a higher calling? You have a higher calling. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm looking at a bunch of people that aren't ashamed. You're not ashamed. You are mighty men and women of God, and you are not ashamed. I'm telling you, you just get ready. We are in, there is a quaking going on in the spirit. The devil is nervous. But we will see this place filled. We will see this place with people who aren't just showing up to say they, you know, get their little star that they attended church today. But people who are coming together not to just get blessed, but to be part of a blessing. It won't be hard to get nursery workers because they'll say, let me work nursery so that somebody can hear the word preached to them today. I'll take care of their children. It won't be hard to get teachers to teach the children because Jesus said, feed my lambs. And it's, it's a commandment and we do it with joy. We don't do it, well, it's my turn. It won't be hard. And I'm not saying it is hard right now, but let me tell you, for us to grow, we're going to have to have more. <coughs> Excuse me. More. 
And we are going to grow. And we are going to do these things. Because we have come to the sea. And we have stretched out the rod. And the water is coming up. And the land is drying up. And we're walking across. They didn't just walk across to prove they could walk across. But they walked across to a promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where their enemies would just be in fear of them. Can you imagine these great armies that were across there? These guys were slaves for 400 years. Can you imagine? Why would they be afraid of these guys? These guys knew how to make bricks and build pyramids. Why would you be afraid of them? Because of their God. Their God. They, they heard stories of their God. And when God was for them, who could be against them? When you realize who's inside of you, that you're not just playing church anymore, but you have the greater one inside of you, and it's not just so that we can tag ourselves as a certain denomination or, or you know, a certain group of people. It is so that we can say we are the body of Christ, and we are called to do the greater works. Amen? Well, I don't know about you, but I can stand on my feet and shout glory to God for that one. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What happened in that story of the paralytic man was... Really, one person's encounter with God caused the whole crowd to glorify God. It just takes one person. Just takes one person that gets what God's got and demonstrates it. When that man, the first thing that happened is that man got up and glorified God. He was in a hostile situation, don't you know? Now, he did have his friends with him. But the rest of them were not there to be his friend. They were mad at him for breaking the roof. They were kind of, you know, like you messed up our meeting, you interrupted our meeting, and then you look what you mess you made, and somebody's got to clean up the mess. And But he glorified God. One man's encounter caused them all. It says they all were astonished and glorified God. Let me tell you. It is time that you demonstrate Jesus to a heart and dying world. This church has an assignment on it. And it goes beyond these walls. But let me tell you, it's got to go to these. This, it's got to go to those who are, who are planted here, who are assigned here. We got to get it. And then it'll go out. It's, it's a natural response. It's an overflow response, isn't it? But at the same time that we're, we're, you know, we're supporting ministries here and we're supporting ministries there, listen, what a shame it would be that I, I'm getting reports from the Philippines and it makes me just jump up and shout and cry, all of those reactions I get. Uh, just this week, got reports from all, all kinds of countries that, that God is just touching, saw things that God's doing in Tanzania and, <clears throat> and in Asia and even in Japan. 
even during this terrible time. Let me tell you, God's got people on the ground. And ministries that we're connected with, we just, uh, just one ministry that I'm connected with, we just sent multiple thousands of dollars to ministries there that are on the ground in Japan that will say, this is what it's like. This is a God we serve that demonstrates the love of God. So what a shame it would be if we are touching nations, but we remain just the same. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same next year as I am today. Do you? I don't want this church to be the same. I don't want our fellowship to be the same. That when we get together, I'm telling you, we're like fires lighting one another. Your fire lights my fire, my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. You know, (laughs) we're talking in the spirit. Some of y'all get out of the flesh there. (laughs) Me. (laughs) We need to be those people who will go get our friends and say, I know a man. His name is Jesus. You need to love your friends enough to take them to Jesus and let Jesus fix them. Take your friends to Jesus. That's my end of my message. There is a way. Maybe it doesn't look like there's a way. Maybe your friends are telling you, I don't want to hear what you're saying. Maybe your friends are saying, I don't want to be with you anymore because you don't go to the bars anymore. You don't do this anymore. I don't like being around you anymore. But you believe God. You love your friends. And you take them to Jesus. And you say, I know someone that you might be crippled. They might be crippled in their spirit. They might be crippled in the flesh. But I know a man. I know the healer. I know the deliverer. I know the prince of peace. Come with me. Let me introduce you to him. And when you change one person, let me tell you, it'll affect many. They say that one person has a... I heard this statistic. Maybe I shouldn't even quote it because I'll probably say it wrong. But (laughs) let's say this. One person affects many people. So when you minister to one, you're ministering to many. That's why when we have a minister's conference, we are really ministering to thousands. But you are too. You are too. You're not just getting one person saved. That person's going to go tell their family. That person's going to tell their friends. It is time that we quit being quiet. You are getting your command from the commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, and saying, you go, make disciples of all men. Make disciples. Preach the word, instant, in season and out. Do the works of the evangelist. Do the works that Jesus did. Do it. And let's believe God. Amen? Are you are you ready? <laughs> I am so ready that I'm ready to take this hot jacket off and run around this church. But I'm going to just pray for you this morning that you get it. I think so. I can see in your faces that you, you're getting it. There's a change in you. But I want to get it too. I want to get it too. 
I want to be where my life is poured out. That's what Jesus did. Pour out my life for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray right now. Why don't we pray this together? Jesus, take my life. Use me. Help me. Lord, help me to see what is impossible to man is possible with God. I believe you can change the impossible to the possible. No door will keep me from it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Reminds me of the scripture Jesus said, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church prevails against the gates. We have an assignment. We have an awesome opportunity. Isn't it cool that God chose us? Now, He chose... I don't mean this to sound like, okay, too bad the rest of them didn't get chosen. No, he's chosen many. But I'm so thankful that he's given us an assignment. I'm thankful. That means he believes we can do it. And if Jesus believes we can do it, then we can do it. Amen? Hallelujah. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity. Let's just bow our heads right now, church. Let's pray. Every one of us had a time in our lives where we were in a meeting like this or we were one-on-one with someone and they led us to Jesus. It would be our great privilege today to lead you to the throne room of Jesus for Jesus to come into your heart and to make you a new creation. If you're here today and you've never done that, you don't know if you were to die whether you'd go to heaven or hell. You can know that. The Bible says you can know. But I want to pray with you today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to raise your hands. I want to pray with you this morning. And I want your life to be brand new today. Is there anyone in the building today? Hallelujah. Now, church, look at me. I want to just say this. I want that to change. I want us to start bringing in the lost. I don't want us to be a bless me club. We should have people born again every service. But you are the ones. It can't be. We're not going to get it with a great advertisement in the paper. Although some people have come for that. It's going to be you. You're the best advertisement Jesus has. Remember the man that said, I don't know what happened. All I know is once I was blind, now I see. You don't have to know everything. You can tell them what Jesus has done for you. And that... You know, I know that some of you have led people to the Lord this week. I've already heard reports of that. Praise God. That's good. But they need to be discipled. You need to get them into church so that they can be discipled. We're not trying to get numbers on a board to say we got this many people. That's not important. What is important is that we make disciples because that's the commandment of the Lord Jesus. Amen? So let's change it. I want you to invite people. Next week would be a great time to bring your friends, because they're going to see how Jesus changes lives. Amen? Praise the Lord.